Um, boy, do I have a coal open for you. Ooh. Um, hold on. I need a sip of coffee just to even get into this. So you know what we're talking about today? Aliens. Alien. Aliens. I've discovered, Steve, because okay, listeners know that um, I'm back at home in Kildare in Ireland. Um, and they also know, if they listen to our last episode, and they also know if they listen to our last episode, we have chickens, right? Uh-huh. I have discovered an alien conspiracy at oh. home amongst my chickens. Uh, as in, and I've got, they're in on it? I think they're in on it, and I've got hard evidence, and I've brought it with me today. Hard-boiled evidence. <laughs> so, let me show you. Okay, so let me preface this by saying these are uh, chickens that my parents got a few weeks ago, so they're quite young. They've only recently started laying, and most importantly, they are all the same breed. I can't remember what the breed is. It's something red. Red chicken. chicken. Red, they're, they're famous red chicken. <laughs> and... They've only started laying recently. They're all the same breed. This is one egg. Pretty standard affair, right? Fine looking egg. Just your usual brownie beige kind of egg. Mm, Looks healthy. I'm I'm showing him this on the Zoom call webcam. This is the other egg that one of the chickens, we don't know which because they lay in private, has laid this green egg. That is a green egg. That is an egg Jerry Adams would be proud to eat. That is such a green egg. There's two of them side by side. It's bigger too. Yeah. One is fucking green and all the other ones that the other chickens are laying are brown, but one of them is green. And you can you can confirm this, right? This is oh, yeah. me fucking yeah, 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 no, this is a green egg. This is I like... will put I will put a link I'm recording this video right now, so I might publish this separately to videos so people can see, but or I will put a link uh, an image in the show notes of these two eggs together. But I'm convinced, you know, you're familiar with how a cuckoo comes in and takes over uh, another bird's nest. Yes. They lay one of their eggs and that and, and the unknowing mother bird comes in and, and raises or hatches the cuckoo egg. Uh, I'm th- I think we've got an alien cuckoo situation amongst our chickens. Oh my God. Alien cuckoo chickens are getting all up in your chicken coop. I t- apparently I'm a little pleased they chose me as their point of invasion. Like this is how they, you know, we're getting a leg in the door, a foot in the door for chicken, planet Earth. It was chicken, true. A drumstick. Through Mammy Nolan's back garden. Yeah, well, I mean, if it was going to happen anywhere, it was going to happen there. I've always said it. Didn't I say it? Yeah, didn't, yeah you've said this from the beginning. I mean, I was just reading what you t- told me. Yeah, I, I probably, said it from the beginning and then you repeated it from the beginning. I, but I'd we've normally, both been in alignment that we said if there was ever going to be an alien invasion, it would happen to Mammy Nolan's back garden. Yes. And that's not Neither a euphemism. Neither of us predicted the chickens, though. That's not a euphemism. That's not, that's not thank God. So I'm going to keep an eye on this green egg. We'll see if it hatches throughout our recording because maybe if it hears us talking about aliens, it'll wise up. And try and, you know, hatch out to deal with us what's silence your, us. What's your plan apart from telling the world about the egg? Are you going to eat it eventually? I'll probably eat it eventually to gain its power. I think we need to, we need evidence about what happens when you go through that process as well. The next time you record, I'm just going to have like red eyes. <laughs> well, I was I'm, thinking- Am- I'm Ripley. <laughs> <laughs> yes, less politics. <laughs> oh yeah, just like normal then. Just like, it is called what am politics. It does sound like what aliens would say. Leto's politics oh. is more accurate than our own name. <laughs> but aliens would probably do this job better than us. Don't encourage but you know them. what they can't do better than us? Fucking illegal roll, aliens. Roll the theme music. Well, they did because I talked over you when you tried to do that. <laughs>
Ah, okay. What is what I'm, Steve? You answer this time. What is this shit? Let's do politics. This is a... What was that? I don't know. It's like what you were saying the aliens were going to do. Ah, okay. We've already forgotten the reference you just made like a second ago. I'm telling you, this egg is beaming something into my brain. (laughs) Well, apart from discussing the in and outs of the OOV alien invasion, this is a podcast all about politics in a very roundabout way. Yeah. Sometimes not about politics. Sometimes it's about eggs. Sometimes it's just about, it's just something that's just an egg, a good old fashioned egg cast. So if this is the egg cast you've been looking for, well, you've found it. Let me tell you that. Yeah. Every single one of our 108 episodes have all been entirely about eggs, despite what you may think. (laughs) Just go back. If you play them backwards, they're all egg casts. All egg casts all the time. (laughs) But yeah, political podcast for the most part. Um, I'm Steve. I'm Richie for now. So you say. So yeah, that's why I said for now. Who, who's to say? I might be Egg Richie someday. Uh, so do we, what, uh, what, usually at this point, Steve, we start talking about the news. Yeah, but I realise by the time we get to tell the news, we normally tell it really late and we don't tell and really it. really bad. We always we, tell it really bad. I know. Well, like, I mean, we're not professional journalists. There's all these other institutions that you should go for that kind of stuff. And well, I have heard that people enjoy listening to our takes on stuff. So maybe mm. we'll shake it up and just take one topic and do like a smoking hot take. Smoking hot take. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, so hot. Hear that egg sizzle? <laughs> That's the intro sting for this new segment. <laughs> Ooh, hot takes. Ooh, ah, I hate it. Let's go. <laughs> so the idea being that I would try and look at what's happening and try and, you know, form an opinion or a hot take around what's happening. <laughs> you said you're so, <laughs> you said that so deriding, like, <laughs> form well, I, opinion. I, yeah. <laughs> Why would I, why are you making me fucking critically analyze things, Steve, and form opinions for myself? Why can't I just retweet other things and say that's an opinion? <laughs> oh, because that's specifically what you're supposed to not do on Twitter. Uh, I see, I see. Uh, okay, so here's my hot take. And I might need you to, in what I'm politics fashion, hold my hand through some of these things. Because sure. I could be well, I could be well off, I could be wrong, I could get details wrong. But it seems to me... And also, maybe this is incredibly obvious, and I'm like just, just you know, bad at this. But um, it seems to me that Donald Trump is flexing his executive powers in preparation for dealing with his inevitable horrible loss in November. Uh huh. And by that, I mean, so let's take what's happening in Portland, for instance. So just, just for those who aren't aware, there's been over 60 consecutive nights um, of the anti-racism protests in the wake of the George Floyd murder. And they have recently escalated quite a bit over the past few weeks with the appearance of federal officers who are cracking down on large group gatherings under under the pretense, quote unquote, of protecting federal buildings and landmarks. Uh, now, these are like federal officers in unmarked vehicles without and who look like military personnel no discernible means of identification no badge numbers no name tags or whatever no lanyards with hello my name is blank on it and these are just just to interrupt s- but i think the scariest part as well is that they hop out of rental minivans like the kind of things That's that it. families get going to disney world and yeah. then out pop all these guys in like full military fatigues i would prefer if i were to be abducted off the streets which is what's happening in portland uh I would at least prefer to be taken into a sleek black yeah, you know, the, van. Yeah. yeah, so it's cool. Big but like the videos, yeah, the videos I've seen are just like hop into a minivan, <laughs> just dragged into a minivan like you're being forced to go to soccer practice no. in the suburbs. 
But yeah, despite that, it is terrifying. They've been using, they say that the technical definition is like less lethal munitions. I would prefer to say near lethal munitions because you use these things wrong and people die. You know what I mean? Like rubber bullets and tear gas canisters and stuff. And they've been using them kind of, you know, with little consideration, just firing them into large crowds. Nancy Pelosi has called them unidentified stormtroopers, which I think is a very good way of describing them. They have that look about them. Nancy um, Pelosi is hilarious. Sometimes she gets the like really amazing, like clever jokes on what's going on. And other times she's terrible. So she yeah. tried to say the coronavirus was the Trump virus. That was shit. But this one is really good. This is very good. It's a good, it's a very succinct way of describing it. Anyway, I say all this because these unmarked federal officers um, kind of wreaking havoc in Portland amongst a lot of peaceful protesters, they belong to a new federal force created by Trump via executive order. Um, which tasked them with protecting historical monuments, memorial statues, and federal facilities. But that does it. Just feels like they are like a martial force to come in and shut down the protests by any means, by the looks yeah. of it. And this is it, directly from Trump via executive order. You couple this kind of unprecedented thing with his tweet more recently about um, postponing the election or delaying the election. He wrote on Twitter, with universal mail-in voting, uh, 2020 will be the most inaccurate and fraudulent election in history. It will be a great embarrassment to the USA. Delay the election until people can properly, securely and safely vote. Mm. And all of these 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 actions, the, the idea of a man putting together a, you know, a secret federal force and also trying to change one of the major institutions of politics in America all just because he's not getting his way. It just feels like he's flexing and getting ready for losing. Yeah. And like, you know, he's got a bunker down in the White House. He's established this kind of federal force. I, I'm not saying he's going to use this to try and like do a military occupation of the White House to keep himself in there, but it just kind of worries me where his mind is at and the actions leading up to what we've talked about as being his inevitable loss in November. Yeah, I mean, I think they're giving it a 20% chance with, and that's quite generous that he could win. But we've mm. talked about this a good few times, actually, on um, my American politics podcast, State of 2020, which I often forget to plug. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what could happen? I think the most loses. recent one was very good. That's where I got a lot of the Portland stuff from. Yeah. Um, and we did talk about, like, in the episode before that, what would Trump do if he lost? So, like you say, he's flexing his, his executive powers that he does have as the president. And mm. he's sending these feds. He did a lot in, remember, in the Washington, D.C. protests in Lafayette Square. Like they yeah. were unmarked federal officers as well. Like it was pretty spooky. And mm-hmm. yesterday, the New York Times had a great editorial basically just saying, if you want to police people, use police, don't use soldiers. It looks like all you're trying to do is intimidate people. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, going back to the, what would he do if he loses? I think, luckily, it looks like not that much. He's even rolling back on these unmarked federal officers a bit. Yeah, um, as of, um, I think, uh, we're recording this on, on Saturday. Yeah. I think on Thursday they start pulling out. Pulling out a little bit, but still, he, mm. he still has, he's still threatening to use them again to protect monuments and whatever bullshit excuse he wants to use. But I I think you can call Trump and his people shit fascists. <laughs> like, <laughs> not even good at being thir- fascists. <laughs> yeah, not even good at being fascists. They, they, they certainly have authoritarian tendencies and they, they don't really care about the institutions of democracy and those kind of bits that mm. previous presidents and like pre- had. Mm-hmm. So they probably would try and grab power if they could. But even with the delaying the election thing, the Republicans in the Congress um, said, no, we're not going to do that because yeah. it is with, it's within their power to be able to do it. And immediately they're like, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah. 
So luckily it looks like he's just going to be a big crying baby just flailing around at whatever you- little things he can do. But I would be confident enough that it's not enough to properly stabilize American democracy any more than he has already done so. Sure. What, what do you think? Just say he was, he went full on toys out of pram. I'm not leaving. Fake I'm election. I'm not leaving. I, what, I is the, what is the maximum he could do? I know it's pure speculation at this point, but. The worst thing he could do would be literally refuse to transfer power to Joe, to Joe Biden if Joe Biden was to win. That would be mm. the worst thing he could do. We've never had an American president who refused to leave office when um, when he lost. So like people say, what's the most important pre- presidential election in history? Oh, it could be when George Washington decided to retire and you got that great Hamilton song about, oh, yeah. teach them how to say goodbye. Not necessarily. It's probably more important that John Adams agreed to lose when he lost against Jefferson. That was more important. That was a peaceful transfer of power. Yeah. yeah. So... I think that's the most dangerous thing Trump could do. Be like, I'm not leaving. And then we have to go through fucking court battle after court battle. And then you might have like, oh, well, I'll leave, but I'm not actually admitting I'm not the president anymore. So on Trump TV, you could have like a 9 p.m. show, the real president's take. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't help that you still get to be called president after you leave. That's true. Yeah. So he's going to fucking, regardless, he's going to, we're still going to have President Trump. Yeah. But it'll just. In communications and stuff. It'll give that 40% of American voters that absolutely love Trump another excuse to call Joe Biden illegitimate and just be shits, political shits. (sighs) So, you know, we'll have more time to talk about this stuff over the next four years. Exactly. If he loses. This isn't going away. It might actually be better if he wins. (laughs) No, don't say that. Don't you dare say that. Anyway, that's been Richie's Hot Take. Ooh, ah. (laughs) Hot Takes. Chicka chicka. Chicka chicka. Hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> That's the theme music. You're really emphasizing the chicka chicka, but you don't you don't really care about the hot takes part. Hot takes. <laughs> right. Uh Steve, before we get into talking about aliens and uh this green egg that's staring at me and beaming thoughts into my head, uh let's talk about our sponsor. Is that okay? Sure. This isn't coming from the egg, right? This uh, So our sponsor this week is our new uh, overlords, <laughs> the Chiconians. <laughs> no, it's uh, the UX Design Institute, uh, of which I am a proud student. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm learning. I, my next class is on Wednesday. And I realized that in the, the previous, when we chatted about this before, I talked about what UX is. It's like, just to refresh, it's um, it's kind of like a mix of science and art, and it's how we design the software that makes our lives better every day. Um, and we talked about that. We talked about how there's lots of great jobs in UX now, and it's actually a really cool industry to get into. It's really growing. But I didn't talk about specifically this course and how it works. It's a completely online course, university credit rated, and it's so cool. They give you a portal, you log into it, and you see all of your modules laid out really easily, and you can read stuff, they serve you PDFs, they serve you videos and animations and all that stuff in the portal and you learn right there and then. They're not like sending you off to different parts of the internet. It's all consolidated at one spot. You get to go through it all, track your progress, they give you a welcome pack, they give you access to a Slack channel where you all of the, your fellow students are there. Oh, cool. So you can just message people. Like, you know the way I message you about dumb like shit to answer for me for, around politics? Oh, yeah. I now have a bunch of Steves for UX <laughs> who I can just message my dumb shit to and ask questions of. So it's lovely. It's very, very kind of like warm and inclusive. It's not like 
jump like I've done uh, I won't mention them competitors but I've done other online courses in the past and they're very kind of sterile and you just watch a thing and that's it over this is way more involved and it's way more human and now seeing as we're all trying to you know stay put and shelter in place a little bit more it's a very good time to get into it I would say this sounds like the UX course has got excellent UX (laughs) would you believe no, actually, it's terrible. No, it's oh. amazing. It's the, be- it's the best in the biz. It's the best in the biz. Uh, so if this sounds like something you want to get into, and you should, um, it's, it's, I'm really, really enjoying it, then you can head to uxdesigninstitute.com forward slash what I am. Chicka chicka. Chicka. UX. UX. Chicka chicka. Chicka chicka. <laughs> oh, so satisfying to do. Okay, uh, let's talk about aliens. Aliens. Steve, Steve what am UFOs? What is that? X Files. Ah, uh, you remember that great show? You you X Files. <laughs> <laughs> you can find them at what I'm politics <laughs> forward slash Mulder and Scully. <laughs> oh, maybe that's what I should make. I should make you X Files. <laughs> mm. Anyway, yeah. See what what I'm UFOs. Unidentified flying objects. I'm jumping the gun a little bit here, but this is this is a politics show. Why? Why are we going to talk about UFOs on a politics show? So we're going to mix things up. We're going to do two things. We probably shouldn't because there's UFOs, unidentified flying objects, and then there's aliens. Yeah. We're going to do both. <laughs> so one's more interesting than the other. <laughs> yes. Well, it's pretty interesting that yes, there are no un- it is. So unidentified flying objects are things in the sky that people see that you don't know what the fuck it is. You know, when you look up and you see a helicopter and you're like, that's a helicopter. I don't need yeah. to question that. Or that's a bird. <laughs> that's a that's a or, roided out mechanical bird. That's one of my that's one of my chickens uh, taking flight, which they're not supposed to be able to do that well. But you know, <laughs> yeah. I don't need to so, question it that much. It's not unidentified. Yeah, that's one of my hover chickens. It's one of your hover. Well, <laughs> do you know I can make that sound? Because I didn't. <laughs> um. Unidentified flying objects are things that you don't know what they are. And just recently, the Pentagon, the US military branch, have released videos of crazy shit seen by pilots that nobody can explain. Yeah. So we'll that's pretty that. interesting. That is very interesting. And then the other um, thing is aliens. What the fuck are we going to do if there are actually aliens? Yeah. Either from the sky or from our chicken coops. Steve, do you- look at me. Look at me right in the eyes. Do you believe, Steve? I believe. Do you believe? Steve believes. Steve believes. I think there are extraterrestrials. I don't know if they're like walking around like men in black and stuff, but yeah, probably. I, th- I, I do too. Um, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't concern me that much. No, no. And it's not like I don't believe in this in the sense that like, I think a lot of people are hungry for like a higher, in the same reason people believe in religion, they want like a higher being, a higher entity, something more. Tell me what to do. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people transplant like the feelings that they attribute to religion onto stuff like this sometimes. I'm not saying that I believe in that sense. I'm also like in a strictly number sense, there's like, there's estimate within our local group, like our section of the universe. There's at least very, very conservative estimates, at least 1 million habitable planets yeah. like within the Milky Way. And that's a very conservative number. Some people say there could potentially be billions, just looking at the number of um, star, like suns that are like our own and the number of planets yeah. that would theoretically be. So in just the Goldilocks a, zone. Yeah. So just in the in a purely numbers game, there kind of has to be, right? Well, 
there should be. You would assume, it makes more sense to assume there should be. There doesn't have to be, but it makes more sense sure. to assume there should be. We should talk about that later because I've actually been researching right before we jumped on the Fermi cool. paradox. Oh yeah, that's a complicated one. Yeah, so I'll do my best to talk about that. But before we get into it, do you want to just give a little bit of, I don't know, background on the state of UFOs in general? Yeah. Um, I mean, before the footage was released of these Navy pilots following little dots and stuff flying around the place. There wasn't much official government explanation, but mm. I mean, everybody knows about UFOs and abduction stories and, yeah. you know, the History Channel documentaries, whenever it went from being an actual History Channel to being the, the <laughs> alien channel. We all know about that crap. That's just, I mean, that's just what happens when you follow ratings. Yeah. You just lose your soul. I mean, <laughs> look at what happens with what our politics does. I know, it's- right? We talk about aliens. <laughs> oh my God, we're doing the same. <laughs> oh my god we, we were literally going to do the program for government but now we're doing oh, this yes oh my way god, more important we sold um, our soul even Stephen Hawking who you know is a genuinely intelligent Stephen uh, unlike the one that you got mm-hmm. um, he is a firm believer and he's not just that he's also afraid of them he thinks that if aliens were to be arrived it would be like when the conquistadors went to America and yeah, crushed it's the, it's, everybody it's that idea of um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy idea right where they come through and they're not some sort of friendly, benevolent force there. Oh, the Hitchhiker yeah. Guide is even darker. So like, I, I'm talking about the Independence Day one where they're here to take us. The Hitchhiker's oh, Guide is like, oh, oh yeah, they just we're so care. insignificant. In the same way, we, we don't care about like, you know, yeah. a, a species of snail when we're building a bypass. Yeah. The, it's we, we are so insignificant. And that's actually part of the Fermi Paradox as well. We'll talk about that later. But yeah. Yeah, no, the, the Hitchhiker's Guide is way scarier than the Independence Day one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, At least you know what you're getting with Independence Day. Okay, yeah. we shoot them. We can try fight them. Yeah, and like, oh, we're 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 so important that they want to actually invade us and like launch military exercises. Like, Get our resources. Like, you got Stephen Fry, giant alien, just building a bypass. Yeah. Um, about sixty eight percent of Americans currently believe in UFOs. I don't have statistics for other people because I guess we're too busy, you know, worrying about healthcare and important things like that. <laughs> but um, Gallup polls recently said it was 68% in 2019. It was 71% back in 96. So that's pretty steady. Mm. And it's not like it's not like most questions divided across class or religion or um, education. It's pretty firm that like 68% of everybody yeah. thinks that aliens are real. Yeah. Or I UFOs to, are real, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wonder too, I'd love to know like subsection to what degree like are people within that number believing in the little green men doing anal probes and what is more like what we were talking about with, oh, you know, there kind of has to be I have some that. degree. That's the oh. 30, 33% of those who believe in UFOs believe that they're aliens, whereas the other 77% think that they are explainable. Oh, okay. So we like weather balloons or human. Yeah. Human. Okay. Yeah. Or not well, speaking of the weather balloons, I know we're going to jump, uh, we're going to jump on our thingy again, but can I do Roswell? Oh yeah, let's do it. This is going to be a pretty free form episode, Steve. <laughs> so Roswell is a famous case, even has a TV show called Roswell, all about aliens and stuff. Mm-hmm. But in 1947, a local man found a crashed site that he described as a flying disc. So I guess the idea of flying discs had already been established in culture as being like about aliens and stuff. Sure. So he's like, I found this thing. This looks like a fucking crashed alien. He right. reported it to the local military base. They showed up and go, uh, um, psh, it's a weather balloon. <laughs> and then from that, massive conspiracy theories came out that, no, this is the government trying to hide it up. They're, they got the aliens and they're trying to, they're trying to hide it. They're, there's some fairies goings on. What, what um, year was this? 1947. Right. Okay. Because this feeds into Area 51, I think, quite well. 
And but this kind of, go on. I was just going to say there, there was a conspiracy. There was a cover up. It wasn't a weather balloon. Right. It was a massive balloon thing that had tiny microphones that are super powerful that wanted to listen to the airwaves in the stratosphere to hear explosions from Soviet Russia so they could monitor the atomic program going on over there. Damn. They just so sent a big boom mic up there. They just sent a big boom mic up there. It was part of the thing called Project Mogul. And Do you think if that was today, they'd be like, uh, it's uh, it's an NPR, we're doing a planetary podcast. <laughs> Terry Gross is on the, is on the, is on the balloon. Uh, <laughs> and then they assassinate Terry Gross so they can cover up and say, oh, she died. <laughs> oh, how tragic. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it was actually a conspiracy. They're, they were hiding things, but it wasn't aliens. It was Cold War shit. Yeah. And so how, this- does that, how does that feed into 51? Well, it's 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 a very very similar story, and it kind of, and you can see why the, all the conspiracies spring up around it because it's all about how the truth was handled that kind of gave rise to these conspiracies. So for Area Fifty One, right, its origins people are familiar. It's a, it's in the Nevada desert. It's a compound that people believe alien testing is happening, or you know, a crashed alien ship was found, and they're doing all their experiments and. It- it is a real military base, tech. isn't it? It's a real military base in the Nevada, Nevada desert. In fact, yeah. if you go to, I saw it myself when I was there. If you're in the Las Vegas airport, there's a small section of the Las Vegas airport that's kind of um, fenced off and has small unmarked planes. And that's how people commute to Area 51 ah. who live in Las Vegas. They go to get on one of these small um, passenger planes and they get they're flown out into the middle of the desert and that's how they, they do their commute. It's, so it's a very real place. But where it actually started was in 1954, Eisenhower greenlit Operation Aquatone. Uh, and the idea was to develop advanced recon technology technology for spying on the USSR. So kind of similar story there. Um, and they needed a really remote location to prevent potential spies from finding out about what they were doing. And so Nevada, the Nevada desert was perfect for that. Um, no one really knows specifically why it's called Area 51, but the best guess is that because they used to test... Um, uh, weaponry out in the desert and they would divide it up into different areas so, based on what they were testing at that point that they just put this compound into place that was called Area 51 from years ago and they used to do that. So they started to, to in Area 51, develop this, these uh, recon um, aircraft. But then in 1955, so a year later, uh, locals started reporting UFOs around Area 51. And all it was, though, was the Air Force testing this new mm. aircraft, which is called the U-2. And this aircraft could fly at 60,000 feet. You which too. Is well, you too. Yeah, that's oh, what it was called. That's where Vano was invented. That's it. Hello, hello. It's aliens. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the, the U2 could fly at 60,000 feet. Elevation. That's probably where they got that, actually. Oh God. This, <laughs> must, this must be an evil alien conspiracy or Cold War mind control device. To explain but, so, Bono. So... So that 6,000 feet, that's well above like the ten to 20,000 feet that conventional aircraft would have been flying around that time. So if you're a pilot flying around in your normal aircraft and you pick up or see a big old fucking ship flying three times higher than you are. And, and they're you don't crazy know what it is. silver looking yokes as well, weren't they? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're all crazy um, experimental designs and shit. You're going to report that shit. So there's all these recordings of people reporting in, seeing this weird shit. And also then just, you know, people in the area looking up and seeing weird shit flying around Area 51. But then where the conspiracy comes from is uh, the Air Force couldn't actually give an, a, an explanation as to what they were doing because that's what the point. Yeah, exactly. So what they said when press was, oh, it was uh, natural phenomena uh, or uh, high, high altitude weather research. That's like what they bounce back and forth between. And that just sounds like a cover up. 
Because it is. It, because that's exactly it's what it is. shit cover-up. Shit fascists. Shit, exactly. shit, shit conspiracies. And so that's where all the, the, the crazy kind of conspiracies came from. I looked up kind of modern... De- and this is the other thing. They, they, they never f- properly acknowledged Area 51 as a, as a place, until, mm. even though it was generally accepted that it was there. It was never but, publicly acknowledged. But like it, I see it. There's a fence. I can see dudes going in and out. No, no it doesn't exist. It's the Simpsons but, thing of the, of the map. You are here. We are not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, in 2013, there was like a, a, a document that publicly acknowledged... Area 51 as being, you know, a place that exists. I looked up modern day uh, definitions of of what's happening there now. And according to US military, it represents, quote unquote, a flexible, realistic and multi-dimensional battle space to conduct testing, tactics development and advanced training. That sounds like alien shit. Doesn't it? Like, is that tongue in cheek? Because like, I know what they say when they're saying multidimensional battle space. They could just be meaning that in the sense of like different methods of battle and different yeah, kind of avenues and mechanics of it. But when you say multidimensional battle space, you know what? You're just throwing fuel on the fire for that. Sure. I mean, the people that work in these things are people like everyone else. They watch all the shows. They know about Area 51. They're going to yeah. think it's funny. <laughs> um, there's a guy, Robert Lazar or Lazar, uh, claimed he worked on alien technology inside Area 51. So he came out in 1989 and said this, again, throwing more fuel on the flames. Uh, he claimed to have seen medical photographs of aliens and that the government used the facility to examine UFOs. Uh, and even though... You think that's true? Absolutely not. <laughs> I've looked neither. a little bit into this guy. He's, he's a bit... He's a bit um, he doesn't seem like a very uh, reputable resource, shall we say. Did you then, come across... Oh, sorry, go on. I was just going to say the last bit um, where Area 51, its most modern day re- uh, story, I think, is the Facebook event Storm Area 50. It's called... Quote, quote, storm area 51 comma they can't stop all of us yeah, <laughs> so yeah i remember that it was like it was like oh it was like six months ahead they were planning it yeah and uh more than two million people responded as going with 1.5 million saying interested but only 150 people actually showed up at the gate and i think they didn't actually try and storm the gates wasn't it some guy just like got arrested for urinating in public yeah there's a bit of that there's also like there's there was more media there i think than actual people because yeah. it was a big story <laughs> Um, but one of the quotes on the, on the Facebook event was, if we Naruto run, we can move faster than their bullets. Let's see them aliens. <laughs> you know what a Naruto run no. is? It's where you run like this. Describe what I'm doing. Oh, <laughs> he's like leaning forward with his arms held out. <laughs> Behind, yeah. <laughs> if we do that, we can run faster than their bullets. And there's a very famous video from that, uh, from the media there of just ABC News or whoever talking to a camera and then in the distance behind you see a guy just Naruto running behind. <laughs> Did he get shot and die? <laughs> no, I think it was the whole thing was very peaceful. Yeah, but anyway, like, yeah. So no, I don't think there's any alien shit happening in Area 51. If you just follow the narrative, it's just cover-ups of, you know, yeah. clandestine military shit. Just other like spooky shit, but unalien related. Did you so, hear of the documentary The Mirage Men out in 2013? No. So it was the story of this dude called Paul Benowitz. He was a businessman from Albuquerque in New Mexico. So the same part of America, but not like still pretty far away from Area 51. Mm -hmm. But there was a military base near him and he started reporting weird sounds and weird lights coming out of it. So they Mm -hmm. sent an agent, a dude called Richard Dotty, and Dotty uh, realized that Benowitz 
in his information gathering and like uh, chronicling of what he was seeing had actually gathered like spy level worth of analysis of what was Whoa. going on. So Dottie was like, oh shit, this guy could like give this to the Russians because this is still back in the Cold War days or whatever. He could like sell this. Mm. So he was like, hmm, maybe I should encourage his conspiracy theories and say, I think you're onto something here. I think yeah. you're finding an alien base. <laughs> So this this government agent told this dude to keep investigating what he was finding and it led to this this poor man Benowitz became so obsessed like on the urgings of this government agent that he had mm. to be committed for mental illness by his family. Oh no. And then this 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 daddy guy like he was involved he he's he's kept on spinning the Area 51 stuff, he spun the Roswell stuff. He like it was it's there's evidence of the government encouraging people to believe in UFOs to detract from, sorry, alien-related UFOs to mm. detract from the fact that they're the ones that are making the UFOs. Yeah. And the like, truth is out there, but it's not in here. Don't look here. <laughs> the truth is out there. <laughs> <laughs> but like, yeah, oh. I mean, it's, 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 it's gas and it's aliens and stuff, but Jesus, this poor man and his family. God. I know. It's, that poor man, you'd hope that if there was like an alien invasion, they would come down, he'd be the one that they'd contact and he'd be made, you know, well, that's like a good position in the new alien government. Randy, or even Randy Quaid in, in Independence oh, in Day. Oh, Independence Day, yeah. You're like, everyone said that was crazy. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, did you hear about, like, I, I found so many anecdotes that are just bananas. Not necessarily, mm. well, this one is kind of political as well. Did you mm. hear of Tom DeLonge, the singer from Blink-182? Blink yes! yes, I did. So I want to talk about this. So he started uh, his own non-profit. To the stars. To, look, to the stars, yeah. To, he described to, it as Disney... I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand what it is. Something yeah, to do so with Tom, entertainment. To go back, Tom DeLonge was the uh, singer and guitarist of Blink-182. And then uh, those guys broke up and he started his own band called Angels and Airwaves. And he was always very fascinated with uh, UFOs and, and extraterrestrial activities and stuff. But he started his own uh, non-profit called To The Stars to kind of investigate into these things. And he was actually, To The Stars was pretty instrumental in the release of the um, yeah. those three videos that we mentioned up top at the start of the section that show a close encounter from that. So who's it? Did the Navy release? No, the Pentagon released it. In- the Pentagon as, as like the Department of Defense released it, but it would have yeah. been information from the Naval Intelligence from the Navy, Service. Yeah. From, from, so it was in 2015. There was a few of them, I think, scattered over 2014, 2015. Um, but one of them now, it was uh, an, uh, an encounter taken off a uh, nuclear aircraft carrier, the USS Theodore Roosevelt, by the way, whoop, whoop. near the Florida coast. Um, I'll include a link to it in the show notes. I'll play a little audio clip of it now. There's a whole fleet of them. Look on the ASA. My gosh. They're all going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Oh, thing, dude. That's not an LNS, though, is it? It's not. I do that on us, dude. Well, if there's a look at that thing, it's rotating. Oh my gosh, dude! Wow! Look at that, man! But it's kind of crazy. You hear the just this this Navy pilot how he reacts to seeing this thing moving kind of crazy all over. And when you look at it, it's most you know, quote unquote proof of UFOs, it's a bit smudgy. It's a bit kind of like, oh, that could be anything. That could be light bouncing off of a sensor. That could be, you know, it seems like it could be easy explained. But this looks kind of weird and crazy and I don't know how you'd explain it. You and can't that, really. The, that's that's yeah, why, the, yeah. And yeah, and so this is the thing. So this, the, the Pentagon have come out and gone, yeah, this is a UFO. We don't know what this is. And it didn't really make headlines <laughs> when this was released. It was released... In, yeah, 2015, was that one released or no? 
No, the, the, 20, the encounter happened in 2015, mm. but the Pentagon released it like earlier this year or end of last year. Maybe they but were no waiting really for a year like 2020 it. to happen so they could release all this shit. Yeah. It's like, remember in the West Wing taking out the trash day, you release all the shit news on Friday evening so it's put into the Saturday papers that nobody reads. Exactly. Maybe it's like, oh, look, there's a, there's a pandemic. The world is tearing itself apart over issues like race and politics. Mm. Let's tell them about the aliens. Yeah. Now there's UFOs. <laughs> Well, shut up <laughs> we're, we're too busy <laughs> yes. hating Trump are, are they going to come here and fix things no I don't give a shit <laughs> uh, but yeah check out that video it's, it's pretty fucking interesting it is it's pretty crazy and it goes to show that like like you say it isn't just like the Sasquatch walking through the bushes that's clearly a fella called Bob wearing a suit this oh. is weird shit in a naval fucking like genuine it looks like the same videos you see of them bombing people yes <laughs> that's how you legit. know it's legit yeah <laughs> you think oh someone's gonna die here oh no it's an alien and something about like a submarine was tied to it as well there was like an underwater object that they were tracking for a couple of weeks as well i don't maybe that was the the incident from 2008 as well yeah but as, as part of these drops the pentagon have basically admitted yes we are tracking ufos we don't know if they're alien we don't know if they're human but all we know is we don't know what they are and we want to know yeah but there's there's despite this stuff there's still like a bit of a taboo within like the scientific community yeah. about investigating this stuff. Like it feels very much like a fringe topic that doesn't get a lot of research put behind it. And I know you were doing some reading into this. I was. There's a dude called Alexander Vent who is a genuine political scientist of great renown. He's one of the main constructivist theorists in international relations. Mm. So he does a whole lot of writing and reading and academic shit. But he also likes talking about UFOs and aliens. So mm-hmm. he released a TED Talk, I think, uh, 2015 maybe, around the same time as these as these things were being talked about as well or like when other things were being released. But he thinks that the human state as it is, like the, the, the countries that we've created, the governments we created are entirely dependent on us focusing on the human part of it. So mm-hmm. we don't really give a shit about God anymore. Most, like, even if a political leader goes, oh, God has inspired me, they're only talking at the side of their arse so they can influence some religious voters. Sure. They don't genuinely get their belief in God. Or if they do, it is still corporeal and human. We don't believe that there are deities making political decisions for us. It's all yeah. human-based. So yeah. he describes it as anthropocentric. Anthropocenic. Anthropocenic. Damn, that's, yeah. yeah, you're so much better at speaking, speaking damn words. <laughs> Um, and he even wrote a 2008 political science article called Sovereignty and the UFO to try and explain these ideas. And he thinks that if it was to come out that there were legitimate extraterrestrials that we have to assume have powers beyond any of our understanding that are essentially godlike, mm. then it's going to flip the tables and we're not going to have a feckin' clue as to what's going on. And we may not respect or listen to our government overlords anymore because Kang and Kodos are coming. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you, you, you do under, like it is, not, it's not that hard to imagine that situation, right? Because we in, define ourselves based on the, on the structure and the totem pole of which our sovereign governments are at the top and we, you yeah. know, cues come from them and there is no, you know, there's a, there's a ceiling. <laughs> and then and all of a sudden, if there it turns out there's aliens and that ceiling is smashed, you look up into space and there's big fucking motherships there. Like, of course, society is going to be impacted drastically by that. And governments have taken it seriously. Um, even back in 1953, the CIA commissioned a, a, a group of scientists to work on what was called the Robertson, Pan, Robertson Panel Report, mm-hmm. where they were like, okay, let's take the idea of UFOs and alien encounters seriously. And they concluded that if we did have evidence, we should hide it because it would cause too much societal hysteria and stuff like that. And now I know that feeds into the idea of conspiracies, that they are hiding aliens. Yeah, yeah. I think it more 
it pushes into what Alexander Vent is trying to say is that we ignore them because we don't want to know the answer. Governments right. don't want to undermine their power by finding out that ET is coming to change things because then they wouldn't be in charge of changing things anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's at their interest to not have that. Man. There's your fucking politics right there. There's a fucking politics right there. And, but you can't, there's also, aliens. Um, but also that, that guy was saying that the, it's kind of hard for independent scientists to, to, to start studying this stuff. Like governments, to your point, have a vested interest in kind of knowing about it and keeping it under wraps, if that were the case. But it's kind of tabooed in the science community to talk about this stuff because you lose your funding. You know what I yeah. mean? Um, so there's not a lot of stuff happening there, aside from, you know, this guy and I guess some other people who, who probably get, would get written off. But it does seem to be getting better. I mean, you have, like we said, the Blink-182 guy, who, to be honest, is he is an insane conspiracy theorist, but he's doing good work at the same yeah, time. Yeah. Like, he's, he's put together this organization that is genuine lobbyists, and he has also got former government employees working with him to try and And he's push. got some cracking tunes. He's got, well, he does have some cracking Angels tunes. Angels and Airwaves, the adventure, fucking, Yeah. And if you're if you're into uh, political science, Alexander Venn's got some cracking fucking articles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there you go. We'll put, we'll put all of this stuff in the show notes. Um, a wild but he, before we finish on that one, though, he did mm. make a really good point. Um, and it goes back to what Stephen Hawking was talking about as well. Even if these godlike aliens are real and they are coming to conquer us, and you know, if that was the case, well, what the fuck are we going to do? <laughs> we're just going to get mm. squished. Yeah. But he may make the point that if you were to go back to the conquistadors going into Mexico, Montezuma, the leader of the Aztecs, could have had a bit more work done if he had thought about the idea that these super advanced invaders were coming. So mm. even if we did decide to think about it and then go, oh, well, it's too complicated to think about, maybe not. Let's just keep concentrating on it and coming up with a few better ideas. Treat it seriously. Yeah. Do you want to talk, can we talk about the Fermi paradox here? Oh yeah. Like, briefly. The probability of it happening. Yeah, I think, because I think it kind of feeds into everything we're talking about here. So the Fermi paradox, now bear with me because it's a little bit heady, but it's the apparent contradiction between the lack of evidence for extraterrestrial civilizations and the various high estimates for their probability. So that's what that paradox is. Yeah. Like we so were talking, I, you, you were mentioning earlier about how there like, there's probably 10 billion planets of yeah, habitable nature. In, so, the Milky, in the Milky Way alone, the universe is massive and there's, even if we were to like, it's, it's too big to tra- traverse, but even if you just look at our, uh, the Milky Way, like our, our local area, our galaxy, very conservative numbers, one million habitable planets. But other people say there could be billions and billions, depending on, on what way you look at it. So it's, you know, it stands to reason that there would be other intelligent life. And if the Milky Way, the Milky Way is very, very old, so not only would there be those planets now, but, you know, billions of years before us, they would have existed. And if they're similar, if they follow similar trajectories to us and they've been around so long, then they would have reached a level of space travel where they could have explored so the Milky we Way. Should, we should be seeing floating dead ships. We should see like, you know, the way Something. In, in, when you're going on walks in the countryside, you see burned out cars. Yeah. We should be seeing burned out spaceships on Mars. Yeah, just drifting past. <laughs> yeah. Um, or, or something, like signals or, or something, but it's just the fact that there's absolutely nothing despite the high probability of at some point there being intelligent life that could have had the technology to traverse our galaxy. And now the, there's a couple of explanations as to why we haven't had any sort of encounters like that with, with an intelligent civilization. And there's this idea of filters, that there's various different filters that a, a species needs to kind of pass through and sometimes they don't make it through. So one of them being 
maybe intelligent life is just very, very, very hard to form, even on a planet that's in the, what you said, the, the Goldilocks zone, mm. that it just takes an awful lot of coincidences or things to happen to get to a point where we're like us. And maybe we are amongst the first... Thumbs. Yeah, posable thumbs. Maybe they're really intelligent stuff, but they just got like like, like four dolphins. baby four baby fingers, and they can't build their spaceships. Like dolphins. Yeah, yeah. So there could be just like some 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 barriers in that sense that they just can't get there. And we are the first of our kind. We are the first kind of very very intelligent uh, life form in that sense. God, I hope not. I know, right? Um, other ones is that maybe another filter is that maybe though intelligent civilization before it can get to that point of exploring the wider galaxy they destroyed themselves. Mm. So either through, and we can see, like if you just look look at us as like a microcosm of this, maybe they have their own climate change. You know, if we keep in the trajectory we're on, like climate change is going to really fuck us over and like hinder any sort of progress, mm. interstellar progress or anything. So maybe it's like, yeah, the, it's, it is the, the doomed faith of any intelligent civilization to destroy itself before it can reach a certain point. Nuclear war, fucking you develop a crazy AI and it goes wrong, whatever it is, maybe it's just- Zoidberg, Donald just, Trump. Yeah, there's just a ceiling once you reach a certain level of advancement that it just kind of collapses in on itself. Um, we have yet to prove that as being true or not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then there's other like crazier ones where there are um, there's different stages of what civilization can be at. There's three of them and we're like just in the first one. Yeah. Um, and that like if you reach stage three, you've... you've um, harness the power of your sun and you've got limitless energy and you've, yeah. you're bit, and so if there is a civilization that's like that they've just chosen not to contact us because yeah. we're not worth it or we're too insignificant or they're like some very very uh kind of pessimistic views is that they're waiting for us to reach a certain point where we become a threat and then they just wipe us out so yeah these are all like that's very very science fiction that's very, or, very science yeah fiction. or it could just be that like oh maybe they are studying us like we study ants but we just like if, if when ants see us, they probably just conceive of it being some part of the natural world around them yeah, moving exactly. and shapes. So maybe things that we see and comprehend, we just don't realize that what we're seeing or comprehending is a massively advanced alien species. Exactly. So there, there's there's a bunch of these things that kind of tries to explain the Fermi paradox. And I don't know if we'll ever really know, but, and then there's also the, the saddest one of all is that we are just completely alone. That's just a dead universe in all directions. And it's, you know. No, but, no, I think I think the sadder one is the second one. Which one? That it always inevitably wipes wipes itself out. Oh yeah, that's much sadder actually. Yes. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah we are least, we are the reason we're not gonna. Yeah. Yeah. So at least then, because the other one has the prospect of us being the first, and then maybe like, or even just being. We just alone. go out through the galaxy and have sex a bunch of places and just populate the. That's Fucking it. Awesome. That sounds great. That sounds great. Sex in space. That's actually, uh, did you watch Ad Astra? Where I think we're going to move on to talking about the best public, uh, like media versions of Aliens. Mm. Did you watch the Ad Astra, Ad Astra movie with Brad Pitt and Tommy Lee Jones? Why didn't they call that Brad Astra? Shit, they missed the trick there. Well, I won't spoil it for anyone, but watch it. It's good. And it's Is about it this. It's about this question of are we alone or not? Ooh. But like from a it's very, a movie? Um, oh, it's, a, it's a really arty movie because it's basically all inside um, Brad Astra's head. Right. And it's like it's it's like a father son parable as much as it is about alien aliens and space travel and stuff, right? But it's good. Uh, shall we shall we talk about our favorite appearances of aliens in fiction and art and stuff? Yeah, I mean, obviously, apart from Independence Day, what's what's your favorite? So Independence Day is great. Independence Day is like a great fucking doomsday action movie. I'm back. <laughs> I think there, and it's a terrible, terrible movie. 
but I think there is some merit and enjoyment to be had in Independence Day Resurgence, the follow-up. Oh, for God's sakes. Because it's, it's the, I love a movie that is a big swing and a miss. And that's what that fucking movie is. They swung big. They, they swung, were like, they we're going to make it. a franchise out of this. There's going to be every other year. We're going to have a big alien movie. Because they ended with, and there's no spoilers because it's a bad movie. You can't spoil it. You spoiled it the second you tried watching it. It's, um, <laughs> they, they, they end it with like the aliens. There's like the humans are basically going to take the battle to the aliens. And I think the last line is, yeah, let's go kick some alien ass. And then yes. cut the credits. And then fucking they axed it because it was a terrible movie that no one saw. But it's we fun as fuck. It. I went to see it, yeah. You went Actually, to see it you know twice. I, I saw it twice. <laughs> you saw it was, you'd seen it in America, then you came and saw it with me. I get, that's it. I did. <laughs> but it's filled with something like Jeff Goldblum on a school bus full of kids like, driving through the Nevada <laughs> desert. Like, where are you going to get that? <laughs> Quite often knowing his career, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. But I think there's so there's so merit in watching. It's a fun, if you want to knock on a fun bad movie to laugh at, I think do that. But I, I mentioned it earlier, I love Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah, that's fun. Not the movie, the book. I think it's something so special. Douglas Adams just captured lightning in a bottle with that series. I mean um, this with the highest of praise. It's like sci-fi Terry Pratchett. Yeah, that's, that's exactly, that's how I got into Terry Pratchett because I was looking for something to scratch that Douglas Adams itch. And in fairness, it's probably not fair at all because I believe Douglas Adams came first. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, but it's just filled with like such original great concepts that just stretch your mind about what, like we always, when you think about aliens, you think about a certain section of like, oh, little green man, blah, blah, blah. But he's so good at like abstract thought and transplanting that into the science fiction genre. Stuff like there was, he describes in one chapter, um, just like like light years and light years away, this these two feuding alien races of like just, just battling. Their entire existence was defined by trying to wipe each other out. Um, but then I won't I won't say why, but they take it upon themselves to go to Earth and join forces and like take over Earth. And so they describe this big epic journey of them taking a multi generational trip across the universe to try and get to Earth, where you know you get on a ship and you're not going to arrive there, but maybe your great-grandchildren will be the ones to arrive at Earth to fight and take it over. And they finally get to Earth, but because of a difference in scale, they got swallowed by a terrier. <laughs> so this whole time you're reading it, you imagine these big, gigantic aliens and shit, but then it gets to Earth and just realizes, yeah, of course, there's no like unifying scale for life in the universe, depending on like where they grew. They could be tiny. And then just a terrier ate them. <laughs> this is so fucking great. Did you ever oh. see 2001 or read the book? Yes, uh, I saw 2001 in, in Castro Theatre. Um, oh, nice. On, on 70 mil film. It was fucking phenomenal. Uh, that movie um, looks like it was made yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> like, it looks incredible. incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. It's he In terms of movie making, like he kind of pioneered the, the, the spaceships and space kind of thing that was mm. that was used, the models. And oh, all yeah. We moved you, to 3D versions. But even you watch Interstellar, that's just a yeah. love letter to, to, to 2001. But I think it is one of the best movies that deals with the idea of aliens being too transcendently advanced for us to understand. Too oh, I mean, that movie is too transcendently advanced for me to understand, <laughs> like, which is like, that's how it ends. It just ends on this weird trip. A trip. That kind of makes you realise, yeah, how insignificant we could potentially be. But to give a spoiler, not to give a spoiler, but to give a bit of a, well, it's a spoiler in the old fashioned sense that it makes you think less of the movie. I believe uh, Stanley Kubrick has pretty, it's been confirmed that he basically did that so he could make money off the hippies. He thought that they would go and see it in the 60s and take loads of drugs yeah. and then watch it again and again. And you know what happened? They did that. They did that. <laughs> <laughs> and he made loads of money. Yeah, of course. Good movie. But though. he also made, he made a good movie as he was doing it for that bad principle. Um, mm-hmm. I want to talk about Arrival as well. Did you see that one? <gasps> Arrival. 
I got chills just think about Arrival just yeah, now. Yeah, that's, that's that's just that's it's so like genre film in particular it can be so tropey sometimes that it you can telegraph story beats a mile away like you know generally what's going to happen because you've seen other genre films in that in that genre um, but this just completely was the most yeah. original bit of storytelling I'd seen. It's basically yeah. a short story, or by, uh, by Ted Jang, I think his name is. Yeah, um, but fu- and it executed to perfection. Danny Villeneuve, I think, mm. um, who did Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and he's doing the new Dune movie, um, and he's just a great filmmaker. Uh, yeah, that's I think that's up there, probably one of the best made alien films. It is, in ter- like the way you were describing it, that's the that's the really interesting storytelling and like time dilation yeah. thing that's part of yeah. the plot. But also it deals really well with the idea, with the po- political side as well. Yeah. Basically the aliens decide to hover over these random eight places on Earth that happen to be massive political hotpoints for all the powers on the Earth as they stand now. And yeah. everyone goes ballistic and it nearly ends up in a world war. And then mm-hmm. as well as that, you have like the internal politics of America, people watching podcasts and listening to videos yeah. about and the it's, aliens it's, as they happen. It shows you as well, like how sensitive to what we were saying earlier, how sensitive our structures are that they just arrive there and they loom. You know yeah. what I mean? We we go and the, and the characters go and make contact with them and stuff, but it's not like they go down there and then guns start pointing out no, of the ships. Things. They're just there and it's just their mere presence is enough for us to nearly destroy ourselves. Yeah, it, that's, that comes back to the idea that it, they don't do anything, but it's confirmation that they exist and that drives society bananas. Yes, exactly. So I get, yeah, but then but then doesn't. So it's not entirely a bad a bad um, story. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's fucking great. It's a great movie. Again, I'll put links to all this stuff in the show notes. I'd also recommend a book, Three Body Problem. Did you read that one? No. It's a Chinese book. I can't remember the author, but it's been translated a couple of years ago and it was a bit of a smash hit. I think mm-hmm. it was one of the ones like um, N.K. Simmons's books, um, the the Broken Earth trilogy. Oh my God, yeah. Jemison, N.K. Jemison. Yeah. Um, I was getting a save with J.K. Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> Bring me pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> um, he wrote these books basically about the idea that the chi- it's from a Chinese perspective that mm-hmm. they're the ones who use a, a, a telescope to get in touch with the aliens and then we find out that bad thing is going to happen because it, but because it takes so long for aliens to get here, it'll take about 300 years. <laughs> oh my God. And then humanity has 300 years of shit going on to try and get ready. It's, That's it's a great, great trilogy. I, I love that kind of, I'll, actually, I'm actually going to, I'm looking for a new book series to read. I think I'll check that out. In a similar vein to what we were speaking about earlier about um, humans going around the galaxy, having sex and spreading our seed. And to a little bit of what you were just saying there, have you ever read Seven Eves? no. Seven Eves is great. Seven Eves is basically, it's not so much about alien life. It's more about the human journey of survival of a species. Basically something happens to the moon. They never really explain what, but uh, it starts, if it splits in two. Is this the 800 page book that yes. all you lads read and were like simultaneously obsessed with and like, why did we read that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I had a bit of a crisis when reading it. It was amazing. <laughs> I'll never read it again. Um, but it, it yeah it was it was a cool read so yeah the earth or the moon basically splits in two and everyone's looking up going oh wow what a crazy thing but then scientists start to realize okay those two pieces are going because of the orbit are going to collide off each other and break apart and collide off each other and break apart and basically they went oh shit it's going to break apart into so many small pieces hellfire is just going to rain down on earth they're going to get pulled into earth's orbit and the moon is going to destroy all of earth which is apparently technically possible um Oh, well, shit. At first I was worried about aliens and now I got to worry about this shit for fuck. <laughs> and then, so the Earth has, I don't know if it's like a year, two years, whatever but the time frame is, I can't remember, to try and get off of Earth and like how the politics of how do we decide who gets to 
be a part of this mission to get, because not everyone can leave Earth. They have to send just like a contingent up to try and, you know, survive off of planet Earth once the planet Earth goes on fire. You, me. Hercules. And I want a spare seat next to me to put my feet up. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Um, And it's just, it's just, again, very political, like the politics of how the different countries come together, how they pick who survives. And then um, how, once you get into space, how does that work? And there's a lot of, he's done a lot of research into orbital mechanics and how all this stuff would actually work. That's why it's thousands of pages long because there's a lot of meaty, dense stuff in it. Very, very dense. But then there's also a time jump of like 5,000 years. And then you get to see what happened or didn't happen after that time. Very interesting. Very dense. Maybe like a lockdown book. Yeah. Right. I think we've been yammering on long enough, Stephen. We got D&D to play. Yeah, we do have D&D to play. Puds Downey. It's time for the adventures of Puds Downey and his group of sidekicks. <laughs> uh, this, is before, how, this is how Rich, uh, car- Richie's character Puds treats the adventure. It's, it's, great, it's great fun. It's the Puds show featuring these idiots. Uh, <laughs> so before we go, at Wild on Politics on Instagram and on Twitter, wildonpolitics at gmail.com, uh, the UX Design Institute forward slash wildon, link in the show notes. Everything we talked about is in the show notes. Um, Share with us your favorite stories of aliens. Oh yeah, I'm sure we missed loads. Yeah, tell us your best UFO encounters and tell us your best interpretations of aliens in fiction and also, most importantly, send us your best alien science stuff because as we were saying, people need to talk about it more. Yeah, exactly. Um, and give us money. I, you know, it could be legit or it could be crazy off the wall stuff. We, we, we don't care. We'll get. We'll enjoy it either way. Yeah, and as Steve said, give us money. Uh, Whatonpolitics.com forward slash beer. Um, I think that... Oh my God. The egg? It, Is it the egg? It's hatching. It's. It looks like me. What? No! No! No, please don't. Everybody, Richie is gone, but at least he does. I'm Richie. Plumcast. What? Plum. Richie Plumcast. Plumcast. Richie Plumcast Plumplitics. <laughs> this has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.